Uh, good morning. Wow, I sound big. No. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Pastor Dale. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It's a privilege to open the Word today with you. Uh, what a great story. What, what a great story. Be surprised. Be ready to be surprised uh, by the power of love. I, I love that statement at the end. So let me welcome you. Open your Bibles, if you have it, or your Bible app, whichever you're using, and we're going to go to John 3, and then we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4 today. So let's open the Word, and then we'll get started t- together. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much uh, for Katie's story. Thank you so much for how you're using her in a place that you placed her, that you placed her even to her own surprise, and thank you for how you're surprising her and surprising others as she's able to be um, the gift uh, and to be love in their lives in countless uh, little and small ways. Uh, so, Father, we thank you for this season in which we celebrate the birth of Christ. We thank you for this series we've been in, Father, that uh, showed us the significance of what he does for us. And I pray today that as we open your word together, you would continue to deepen our understanding, Father, of all that you uh, do and all that you're about. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. One of the things that has fascinated me uh, this year in particular is uh, Becky and I have always been a fan of Christmas movies. Ryan mentioned a few of his favorites last week. Um, And uh, a lot of those are common experiences that we have. Yesterday was wrapping day. Now, wrapping day for me is a very painful day, okay? Uh, and, and for my wife, she's on her feet all day long, and, and, and it's kind of like, okay, you've been storing up these gifts, but you know, you got to get them wrapped, you got to get them under the tree, which is my specialty, by the way, is arranging them under the tree to look good. Although she always seems to have advice for me on how to make them look better. But anyway, we won't talk about that. But, but, but yesterday, all day long, that's what we do. And, and what she does is she wraps where she can see the TV, and we just have this can. It's called Becky's Can of Romantic Flicks. And it's a, it's, a, it's a CD can or a DVD can just full of, of, of chick flicks, you know, and some of them I even like, all right? So we, we just kind of put them on one after another, and you know them so well, you can just listen without even looking and still laugh because you, you know what's coming. And without a doubt, when you think of movies, uh, the number one, we went back and actually pulled up, if you type in or Google uh, Christmas movies, you're going to get this incredible list, too long to even count. It is the most common theme that's the backdrop to virtually more movies than any other single event in human history. Why is that? And a lot of them aren't necessarily real religious in their theme, but the Christmas season and the themes of Christmas that, that, that Ryan and Matt have been unfolding for us of peace and joy and hope, and today we're going to add the topic love, are always the backdrops to these movies because those are the yearnings of the human soul. A little movie trivia time here, and I want you to feel free to just speak up and give me an answer if you know it, all right? But here we go. First year, the first year of the first Christmas movie. Anybody know what it is? 190, I'm giving you a hint. Okay, 1908, I didn't know that. 1908, officially the first Christmas movie, and certainly it was a silent film, and it was, guess what story? It was the classic Dickens Christmas Carol. That was the very first Christmas movie. 1909 followed with the very first Santa Claus movie, and then you begin to get into the talkies where they can actually talk. 
A couple of these you may recognize. Uh, see if you can complete the names of them. 1946, first time It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, 1946. 1947 followed it with Miracle on 34th Street. So you guys are up on these. How about 1954? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, or better yet, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Right, 1954. 1962, now you're getting into my vintage, okay? I was born in December of 53, so I'm getting old enough now to remember some of these. 1962, it was another Christmas carol, but this time it was Mr. I know this was tougher. Mr. Magoo, my wife knew the answer because she looked this up for me. Wow, you really stole their thunder, honey, but that's all right. Yeah, how about, uh, how about, some more? How about 1966 was the first time that a new character that's green showed up called the Grinch. Yeah, the Grinch stole Christmas, first time in 1966. 1978, this will get into a few more of your childhoods here. There was a character called Big Sesame Street, Big Bird. Big Bird did a Christmas movie. Followed, naturally, 1987. Maybe this is some of your vintage. This is Ryan's vintage, probably. It's the family, it's the something family Christmas. The Muppets. Okay, I need to give you a hint. The Muppets family Christmas, 87. How about 89? Now we get into the classics for 89. It's a Christmas vacation. Yeah, Christmas vacation. I watched it last night. Okay. Yeah, Christmas Vacation, still one of the funniest movies ever made. Or you go one year later, it was 1990, and a little boy was left home alone. You guys are good. You got these, home alone, yeah. 2000, 10 years later, you have The Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. So now it comes to full life. 2003, one more i got to add. 2003, probably my favorite Christmas non-religious movie to watch. Elf. Who got it? Yeah. Elf. There you go. There you go. Another elf fan over there. But yesterday, Becky and I were playing the elf thing. You know, we were getting all the gifts wrapped, uh, put them under the tree, sat down, and said, now we're ready. Now we're ready. Bring on the grandkids. Bring on the kids. They'll all be at our place on Christmas Day. But as you listen to those movies, though, um, the common themes that we've been exploring in this series, think about it, the search for peace in the midst of chaos. How do you experience real peace? And we learn that it's not just by finally marrying your childhood sweetheart or finally convincing some person who is a bit of a Grinch that doesn't like Christmas and they meet someone who does like Christmas. By the way, that is the theme of every Hallmark movie, amen? <laughs> Yeah, and if you notice the Hallmark movies too, there's always a point at which they're starting to fall in love, you know? And early in the movie, they, they, there's a moment, and it gets real serious, and they lean in for that first kiss, and what happens? Always interrupted. In fact, I can predict it now. I can see it. Okay, it looks like they're going to kiss, and nope, the interruption's coming. Boom, and they get interrupted. But you know that before the movie's over, they will get there. Okay, so, you know, but, but the search for peace in the midst of chaos is a common theme in all these movies. It's a common theme in the story of Christ. Because what we learned a few weeks ago was Christ provides a basis for real peace. 
Not just the absence of problems, but a peace that you can have because of the presence of God and the love of God and the, and, and the gift of God that shows us that we can have peace no matter what's going on around us. We talked about hope. Not just a kind of an artificial fake hope, which I call hype, where you hype yourself into smiling when even though you're going through painful things, but a hope that actually endures, a hope that's real. And we find that in Christ, we have a hope that's real. We have a peace that actually works. Last week, we talked about joy, and not just joy as in the cultural way, because the culture's approach to joy is synonymous, as Ryan taught us last week, with happiness, which is based on what's happening. Happiness is based on what's happening. But real joy, the type of joy we can have in Christ, the type of joy that came to those lowly shepherds and shocked them and they were invited to the party even before the kings and the powerful people you know that's the type of joy that's the type of of god that we have that produces joy for everyone no matter where you are in terms of life status uh, it's available to all because christ has been born a savior for all mankind Peace, hope, joy. Today we're going to look briefly at the fourth component in this Advent series, which is love. Probably the most common theme in all of those movies is the search for love. It's something that we come out of the womb desiring. It's something that they have even done research, by the way, on babies that are still in the womb, and they find that those babies are experiencing emotions such as hope and peace and joy. and they're, they're, In fact, it's said that when Christ was still in Mary's womb, that there's a point at which he was about six months developed in the womb, and he says he leaped for joy when he came into the presence of the mother of John the Baptist. He leaped for joy. So he experienced emotions even in the womb. And as soon as you come out of the womb, what's the first thing you experience? For most of us, it's a masked man who whacks us on the butt <laughs> and makes us cry because we need to cry. We need to get it out. And I think from that first whack on the butt by a masked man, you're kind of like, okay, where's the love now? I was kind of feeling pretty comfortable where I was, and then they forced me through this. Anyway, anyway, okay, let's not go to get too graphic. But yeah, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm pressed out into this cold world that is painful at times, and we really do begin to search. So who around here loves me? Who around here really cares for me? Who, who loves me? Even when I'm being a brat, even when I'm crying, who loves me no matter what's going on in my life? And it's that search that we're going to focus on today because we've been talking about in the series how the coming of Christ is the light of the world because it lights up and illumines real peace. It lights up and illumines real hope. It lights up and shows us the path to real joy. Today, it is going to literally light up and show us the path to where love can be found. Got an outline if you want to follow it. It'll help you track along as we teach. What do we learn about God's love, especially as revealed in the Christmas story? I want to start by reading the shortest version of the Christmas story. Okay, we've been exploring some of the Christmas story from Mark and Luke, especially, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John actually has, well, you might say the least detail at least. Doesn't even get into all the stories of 
shepherds and, and, and magi, and, and he doesn't get into any of that, but yet Luke bega- I mean, John begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, John 1.1. 1, 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, of course, is referring to Jesus. We're going to talk more about that, by the way, on Christmas Eve. Don't miss that. It says a few verses later, though, that the Word became flesh. He took on a human body and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve, so come come on back for that. Don't miss that. Invite your neighbors. But then John kind of moves off the Christmas story until he gives us what I believe is the shortest summary of the Christmas story. And it's so common, we often don't teach on it. So as Ryan laid out the series, I think he wisely said, let's hit this, John 3, 16. Because the essence of the Christmas story is this, for God the Father, for God so loved the world, all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave that he gave something very precious, that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whoever believes in him, puts their trust, faith in him, should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. There it is. If I were to summarize that, in a couple phrases as the shortest Christmas story, here's what I learned. Love gives and love goes. Love gives, love goes. For God the Father so loved that he gave. He so loved that he gave. He loved us so much, he gave something of great, precious value. His only son. What else can the creator of the universe give that's of any higher value? That's the highest value that God the Father could do. He loved, love gives, the Father gave, but also in the story, the Son went. The Son went because love goes. Love goes where the need is. Love goes to meet the deepest need that we have as humanity. Love goes regardless of what's ahead. We'll come back to that in a minute. But just remember those two things. What we learn in the shortest Christmas story, just repeat it with me, is love See, when I do this, you talk. Here we go. Love gives and love goes. See, the Father went, the Son, the Father sent, and the Son went. That's the essence of love. Now, what do we learn as we begin to say, okay, Dale, but how does this light up or illumine the love of God? How does the gift of Christ at Christmas, what I call in the outline, how does it like turn the lights on so we understand love more deeply than we did before this happened? And that's where I love going to John's other book, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory and the, and the Word uh, became flesh and, and, and came to be our Savior, and, and, and the Father sent and the Son went. The same John later would write a whole epistle around this theme of love. And it's 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, listen to it. 1 John 4, we'll start with verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Stop right there. For God is love. I want to highlight three things from 1 John 4 that, to me, kind of turn my lights on in terms of understanding the love of God and the love that he wants me to, to live out as well. Uh, number one is that God loves because it's who he is. God loves because it's who he is. It's natural for God. God doesn't have to work at loving. God doesn't have to remember, oh yeah, I, I, this is time of the day for me to love. God is by nature love. Now, don't make the mistake some people in our culture make, which is think, well, God is just love. No, God is more complex than just love. God is described in a lot of adjectives in Scripture. God is also just, for example. He cannot uh, defy his justice. God is righteous. He can't be unrighteous. God is holy, which is mean he's perfect in how he exercises all of his attributes. So God is much more complex than just love. Our culture wants to say, well, God is love, and therefore God's up in heaven. He leaves us alone, and he's on call, and if we need him, we call out, and he answers. That's kind of what I call the Santa Claus with no naughty list, okay? That's the Santa Claus that just loves everyone, and that's all he is. But God is, at the heart of his character, though, no matter how he's doing, what he's doing, God by nature is love. Love comes natural for God. And it's the basis on which we're called, not just at Christmas, but as followers of Jesus Christ, all through the year, we're called to exercise love. That's why this passage says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Well, because God's love and God is in us and it's natural for God to love. So in essence, what we're saying is this. I'll put it up on the screen. God's love's natural for him, but it's supernatural for us. Because in our sinful nature, we still struggle at times to love and, and, and we don't come out of the womb ready to love. We come out of the womb ready to look out for number one, which is me. Now, I hate to say that. I've got a, one of the cutest little grandchildren you could ever want to have right now, but he's about a year and, what, five months or so, right? Six. Thank you, Beck. Okay. I was, I, can you be here in the next service too, please? Okay. year and six months. Well, let me tell you something. He is a sinful little guy. Now, that doesn't mean he's not the cutest little guy in the world. Some of you are saying, Dale, that's terrible. You're the Grinch. No, I'm not the Grinch. I'm telling you the truth. And so was Dale at that age, and so were you. Okay? We come out of the womb on the naughty list. <laughs> we come out of the womb. We're all on God's naughty list because we've all sinned. Scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't start at age 16. And you start thinking, when did, when did my kids first start being selfish? Can you remember, those of us who have kids? Yeah, it's pretty quick, isn't it? Oh, maybe I'll give him the first week of life, but no, no, no. No, he comes out of the womb with a sinful nature that he inherits. You know why? Because mommy and daddy have a sinful nature. And, you know, and, and, and it, it's, it's who we are as humanity. Apart from Christ, we all sin. But God's love can be ours. It can be lived out through us supernaturally. Now, how is that? Well, it's because we can love like him because his spirit lives in us. We don't have time to go into that in depth, but just keep in mind that when Scripture in Galatians 5 describes the fruit of God's spirit, when I walk daily in dependence upon, relying upon God's Holy Spirit who comes to indwell me when I accepted Christ, when I live in dependence on him, it says the fruit of God's spirit is 
love. It's the very first thing mentioned. You know the next one? Love, joy. <laughs> next one, peace. Love, joy, peace. And then it has a bunch of other good stuff. So when you're searching for love, joy, or peace, ultimately they can be experienced supernaturally because in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he realizes that the Christian life is not, as I've often said, it's not difficult, it's impossible. But yet it's possible as we live in dependence on him. That's the story. So what we're saying is this. What we're saying is that, that, that love is a God thing. It's defined by him. It flows from him. It's natural for him. But his love can be experienced by us. What else do we learn about this commentary on the Christmas gift, especially? So number one, God made the move. God sent because he loves, because he's love. God went. Christ, the Son, went. He came because of love. It's natural for them to do that. Number two, God's love is also different from us, though, in that it is what I call pure and unconditional. In other words, its motives are pure, and its exercise is unconditional. Look at the next two verses. John 1, 4, pick it up, verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. There it is, the Christmas story. So that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God and then he loved us back, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, or propitiation is the big word. It means the, the atonement, the payment for our sins. So what I learned secondly is that God's love, as I learned especially from the Christmas story, is... When the Father sent and the Son went, uh, when love um, gives and love, um, and, and, and love goes, what I learn is that it's, it's unconditional. And that is radical to think that God loved us before we reached out to want to love him back. It wasn't like we were, you know, it wasn't like God's in heaven and he says, you know, humanity's had a pretty good year, so I think I'm going to send Jesus. No, it was when we were hopeless Scripture descri describes us in uh, Romans chapter 5 as enemies of God because we were kind of into us. We were into doing our thing. We were the center of our life. It was my universe that I wanted to rule over and, 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 and reign and grow. I wanted to build my little world, not his. And when we were separated from God, uh, he gave. God gives unconditionally. He gives unconditionally. So how's that different? How's that so radical? Um, I want to use a little paradigm that I've taught before here, so some of you will remember this. But I think when I think of kind of how humans love, even as modeled at Christmas in terms of our gift giving, um, the first thing I would say is this. We tend to uh, use love as either a wage or a bribe. Okay, love is either a, a wage or a bribe. What do I mean by that? Well, we love as a wage because we give it to someone who's earned it. Or we love as a bribe because we want more of it ourselves. Now, I don't want to shoot down all the reasons for all the gifts under the tree, all right? But, you know, face it. Most of you in this room do not have a gift under my tree. In fact, I'm not sure. Beck, are there any? I, I don't think so, okay? Now, not that I don't love you, but you know something, I'm sorry, you know? But, you know, you, you don't have that family connection. 
But all my grandkids, whether they've been naughty or nice, they're under the tree. Okay, my kids are under the tree. My, even my in-laws are under the tree, okay? Yeah, and that's a stretch, but they're there. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, but the, fa- the fact of the matter is, you know, there's usually some human reason that that person gets a gift, or maybe you give a gift to your boss. Well, is that just because you're loving? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Check that off your naughty and nice list, right? Yeah, you know, you give gifts to people that usually either... You know, they've been so nice to me that I want to give them a gift. In fact, I need to give them a gift. In fact, if I don't give them something, I'll feel in debt to them because they've earned it. They've earned it. And by the way, this is not sinful. I'm not saying that giving because someone does something nice and you want to give them a gift, that's, there's not, I'm not saying that's sinful. I'm just saying that's the, that's the best we can do as humanity. We, we love as a wage and we give gifts, and we give love to people that have first loved us. Or you say, you know something, this person's kind of important in my life, and I'd like to have more love from them next year in 2019, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a gift. And, 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 and sure enough, if you give them a gift, they're going to feel what? Obligated to give you a gift. Yeah, okay. So this is kind of how the game is played. And it's not just played this way at Christmas, it's played this way all year long. I mean, even in the intimacy of marriage and family, the people that we want to love the most, if we're not careful, there's been times in my life when I realize, you know, I don't really want to be nice to Becky today because she's not being nice enough to me, you know, and, and she hasn't really earned it. Or we'll often say, well, I'll forgive them when they, what, ask for it or when they show that they are sorry for what they did. Or, okay, I'll, you know, so a lot of times, most of our loving is either as wages or bribes. That's the way it is. God didn't do that. For God so loved the world in all of its sin, in all of its mess, in all of its rebellion, God so loved the world. He gave. He gave unconditional love. I will, I will do this for you whether you ever love me back or not. I'm going to do this. That's a different type of love. You know something, that's the type of love that you want to build your life on. We'll come back to that in the end. Number three, what's the third thing I learned from this passage? Number one is that this type of love is natural for God. Because that's the kind of God that we have. God is love. And as his children, we need to ask him to help us. But we can do it too. But remember, it flows from him. God is love. It's natural. Number two, God's love is unconditional. He gives it no strings attached. But thirdly, and this is a big one. Look at verse 11. I'll read it and then give it to you. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, in other words, if he had this kind of love, then we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. We haven't seen him, but yet if we love one another, God lives in us, he abides in us, and his love is perfected. Now, that doesn't mean his love is made better, by the way. Don't read that into the, this is a Greek word that means his love is brought to maturity, it's 
It's completed in its purpose. It lives out its purpose. You know, it's perfected. It's brought to maturity uh, as He loves uh, through us. Then he says this, By this we know that we abide in Him and He abides in us because He has given us His Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He points to the cross, not the manger, but the cross as the ultimate definition of showing the love of God. He sent Christ not just to come into the world to create an awesome holiday with some cool movies. No. God so loved us that He sent the Son to be our Savior. As He said earlier, the payment for our sin. He's pointing to the cross. That's what He's pointing to. And that tells me that God's love is costly. That God's love is not only natural and unconditional, but it was costly and expensive and even sacrificial. That God had to be willing to sacrifice for us when He gave. Jesus sacrificed for us when He came, when He went. You know, as I thought about this a little bit, my, of Him sending Christ to die for us, I, my mind went back uh, this week to 9-11. And it's interesting, the only date on our calendar that we don't have to explain what we mean by it, right? We talk about 9-11 that day when the Twin Towers were attacked, that day when they were in flames, um, I have the utmost respect for those first responders, those police and firemen who showed up, and there's this inferno burning at the top of the building, and, uh, and they went in. They went in. and Hundreds of them never came out. They were buried under tons of rubble and Steel that had actually melted at the top and then collapsed under the weight of it. Uh, I have the utmost respect. And those of you in the room that do this every day, who are in first responder type jobs, thank you. Thank you. But when I compare that to Christ, there is one difference. Because it, it causes me to stop and to ask this question. What if... What if they had known exactly what was going to happen? Would they have rushed in? What if they knew, I'm going to go in, I'm going to start up the staircases, and at some point, this entire building is going to collapse before I go out? You say, well, Dale, didn't they know that? No, they didn't. In fact, in the history of such infernos, I don't believe there's ever been a case where a skyscraper made of steel collapsed in a fire. It might be burned out at the top as a, that's what they expected. It'll probably burn out and they're going to have to at some point stop the spread of the fire and, and then you're going to have a, a skeleton of a building standing and that's really what they expected because that's what fires in skyscrapers do. This one was different. This one was fueled by an inferno that had never hit before of a jet loaded with fuel. So a different kind of fire they'd never seen. And the tragedy was they never came out. 
And, and I'd like to believe that uh, some of them may have still gone in. But I know I would have stopped and had a hard struggle if I thought, you know something, I'm not going to be able to save them. And I'm not going home to my wife and kids at the end of the day. And that's, that's not what I signed up for. Would they have gone in if they knew they would be buried under the collapse? I don't know. But when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about the Father deciding, all right, humanity is lost and headed for an eternal inferno, separated from God, a place called hell. Not a common theme at Christmas. But if you don't have an awareness of it, you won't appreciate the gift. Because when the Father sent, He knew the cross was coming. When the Son went, He knew that His destiny was not just to create a holiday. He knew that the weight of the sin of all of humanity of all time was going to collapse on him. He knew he would be buried under the weight of your sin, my sin, and the sin of all mankind. Jesus knew that. It's as if he knew the collapse was coming. Now thank God that because he was our Savior, because he was the sinless Messiah, that building could collapse on him, but it could not hold him. And he rose from the dead. He, was, he, he rose from the rubble. He came forth, but only after he had paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. That's why 1 John says this in verse 14, that we see and testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior. See, that's the Christmas story. Don't stop at Christmas with a cute baby. You can't celebrate Christmas if you don't see the sin of all humanity collapsing on Jesus Christ and Him saying, I will still rush to planet Earth. And the Father sent and the Son went because love gives, love goes, and love pays a price no matter how expensive it is. Now that is the love of our God. So how does this make a difference for you and I this Christmas? Um, in other words, if this kind of lights up the Christmas story, it illumines the love of God. It gives me a deeper understanding of it. How does it illumine my path for what I call my everyday, common, everywhere with everybody journey? How does it light my everyday, everyway path? Uh, not just this week come, I mean, you know, coming off Christmas, but all of 2019 and for the rest of my life. Let me just give you three quick applications of this. Number one, stop and be amazed by the gift. This type of an extravagant, unconditional gift of God, this type of love is different. This is not God just giving gifts like we give gifts. We're not. We're not inclined to do that. An unconditional love of God given at a great price knowing that the cross was ahead. That's the type of loving God that you can trust. 
let him just be more amazed at the gift this Christmas. Number two, fall in love with the giver. Don't just be amazed at the gift. You know, fall in love with the giver. You know, one of the goals that God has is he says, I want you to love like me, but it begins with you loving me. You know, we love, it says in this passage, not because we first loved God, but because he first loved us. See, he loved us first. And, and be amazed and fall in deeper love with the giver. And this is really how Christianity is supposed to function. This is what makes it different from every other world religion. Most world religions, or in fact, all other world religions, I believe, are works-based. They're like, okay, God is going to nail me if I don't get better, if I don't behave better, if I'm not a nicer boy, I am on the naughty list, and somehow I need to get on God's nice list, and I do it by doing good works. That's called religion. But that's not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is that God so loved the world when they were on the naughty list that he gave, that he went. Wow. So... Fall in love with the giver because Christianity is designed to be love-driven, not fear-driven or works-driven. It's that I fall in love with this God, and out of love, I want to please Him. It's kind of like I fall in love with my wife, and it's not hard for me to want to buy her gifts. I love to buy her gifts, even when she's a little bit on the naughty list, okay? Which she seldom is. It's been since 1987 that she was last on the naughty list, but, but we won't go back there. Um, in fact, I just made that up. She's never been on. Well, yeah, okay. Like every marriage, sometimes we're both on the naughty list. Right, honey? Right, okay. But you know how you get off the naughty list? It's just that you love one another unconditionally. You give love to the other person regardless of how they're behaving. And that way you don't just keep reinforcing that lack of love. See, God wants us to love driven by love not fear or guilt or anything else and number three last but not least he wants us to go as he went and be the gift that ultimately god shocked the world by sending jesus christ to come in such an unconventional way i thought ryan's done a great job of unpacking some of the unconventional way in which god showed up as a baby in a, in a food trough. That's what a manger is. And it was probably carved out of rock, not made out of wood. So picture a cold, uh, carved out of limestone uh, food trough that the animals were eating in moments earlier. And they scrape it out and hopefully throw some clean hay in. And that's where baby Jesus came to. And he came, he came in, in a way that expressed poverty and then embraced Every person, including the lowly shepherds that were the outsiders in the culture, as we learned last week, you know, so he came with that type of a love, and now he wants us to be that type of love. And because he sends his spirit to live in us, we now have the motivation because we're in love with the giver, we have it modeled because we're amazed by the gift, and now we be the gift. We go and we be the gift. That's what God wants you to do. Be the gift. Just as the world was shocked that God would come in such a way, he wants us to now shock the world in acts of love, small and large, done in an unconditional, sacrificial kind of a way where you love the unlovely. 
picture in your life right now. Who in your life is a little hard to love? All of us have them. Even in your family, you have someone who's hard to love. My wife has a plaque in our kitchen that says, Families like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Okay, and that's a great true saying, you know. And every once in a while, every once in a while, I'm a little nutty. I'm hard to love. But when you love someone who's hard to love, you're imitating Jesus. When you love the unlovely, when you love someone who doesn't have the ability to ever return the favor, that's imitating God. Be that gift. So when you wrap your presents, um, yeah, you'll pay the wages, pay the bribes, but don't let that be your motivation. Let's love more deeply. Let's say that uh, love now has been brought to life. The light is on it. And let's be the gift. Let's be the gift. If you've never trusted Christ personally, let me tell you, you can't do this without his help. Without his help, I am just a selfish, I'm a selfish guy. And it's all about me. That's been my story. But with Christ, I can actually begin to, at times, love like he loves. And say, God, thank you that you helped me do that, because I couldn't do that on my own. If you don't have that relationship with Christ, I would invite you to put your faith in him today. No better time of the year than to say, I want to start putting my faith in Christ for what he did when he willingly came to earth knowing that things would collapse on him. And he rose from the rubble to be our Savior, our Lord. He's alive today. Put your trust in him and what he did. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for what you have done to give us life. Thank you for what you did to come and to be our Savior, the Savior of mankind. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of love that led the Father to say, I will give my Son. And the Son to say, I will go. We ask you to... Uh, Fill us with your spirit that we might be the gift. But we choose today, Father, to put our faith in you, not ourselves. Not our good works, not our good deeds at Christmas or any other time of the year, but to put our faith in Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. We trust him as our risen Savior. Empower us this Christmas in Christ's name. Amen.